Take your Bibles this morning, please, and go with me to Psalm 126 in your Bibles this morning. The book of Psalm 126. Well, I'm looking forward to potluck, aren't you? Man, I just might cut the sermon short, amen, and we can get out there, we can get out there a little sooner, amen, and uh, when we dismiss in prayer, we pray for the food, and while y'all are in here praying, I'll scoot out the back door and get in first in line, amen, that's not a bad idea, amen, but uh, got to eat spiritually before we get eaten physically, amen, Psalm 126 in your Bible. Wonderful psalm in chapter 126. And the background of it is really a wonderful thing that God uh, does. And we can see once again the importance of missions brought in the Old Testament. We can see how God, even in the Old Testament, his heart just comes out for people in the world, for the lost people that are in the world. And boy, we live in a world where lost people are everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. Everywhere and more. I mean, everywhere in Oklahoma. If you go down in Texas, there's a special amount of lost people down in Texas. Amen. And uh, I just always have to poke the Texans a little bit. Amen. But um, boy, it is so true. There are so many people in the whole world that need the Lord. And the passage we're going to read this morning has to do with that. And so let's look at it and follow along this morning, please, as I read. We'll read the whole first, all six verses of this passage this morning. Notice the Bible says here, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for the Bible today, and thank you for the privilege to open it. And Lord, I pray thy blessings and thy spirit, Lord, meet with us, Lord, powerfully this morning. We so need you, and you know everything going on in our life. And Lord, we, you've told us to lift up our eyes and look upon the fields, for they're white or ready to harvest. And Lord, uh, this is a time when our church is to especially lift up our eyes and look on those fields. And so help us, we pray this morning, to do that. And help us, I pray, Lord, not to have a callousness about it or a nonchalant spirit, but, oh, God, ignite us. Ignite our spirit and our heart, Lord, to see the loss all over the world that you love, the ones that you were moved with compassion on. Help us, I pray, this morning have that kind of love and that kind of compassion for the lost world, Lord. And Lord, bless we pray thy word this morning as we open it. And as you've given to me some bread, I pray that I can give it to each one today and it would satisfy our souls, Lord. Most of all, I pray for that one who may not know Christ as their own personal Savior this morning. 
I pray today they'd come to a knowledge, they'd be saved today, and they'll open their mind and their heart to receiving Christ, Lord, I pray. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Oftentimes when you come to the Psalms, you don't always know the background of the Psalm that you're reading. But I want to give you the background of this Psalm that we're reading. In 586 B.C., was anybody around in 586 B.C.? Anybody? Nobody? Okay. So you don't know any more about this than I do, okay? 586 B.C., a great big nation called the Babylonians swept into Israel and they took captive everyone away and they brought them 500 miles away to a place called Babylon. This is known as the Babylonian Empire. It exists today even in current um, maps along the Euphrates River where current modern day Iraq is. And they pulled them all out of their home. And for 70 years, 70 long years, the children of Israel had left their beloved home and they had been chained and made to walk 500 hot, sweaty miles. And when they got there, they were to serve a angry, hateful people called the Babylonians. They were... <clears throat> vicious people that needed a populace to build their empire. And so they took the children of Israel, they came to Israel, took all the children out of Jerusalem and they, they leveled the city. All the walls were leveled, all the, the temple was leveled, everything was gone. And they left the city burning. I wondered, I wondered about how that could happen. You know, in Bible days, the cities were built with stone. And uh, the Bible says that they, the city was burning and I couldn't picture how you're going to burn it. Well, but I didn't know this, but limestone will burn. Limestone burns. And it's that white stone. I didn't notice that, but I can picture these walls and everything the Jews love. Well, they're brought to Babylon. And here they are serving a godless people living. You know, the Bible even reminds us in Psalm 137, Psalm 137 goes with this Psalm and it, it tells us how the children of Israel were depressed, defeated. They sat down by the river and the Bible says they hung their harps on the willows. They lost their song. They lost their joy. Has that ever happened in your Christian life? Have you ever... You ever lost your song? I'm reminded when things look the worst, that's the time to break out into singing. When things don't look good, that's time to sing. Paul and Silas were in jail in the book of Acts. You know what they did? They sang. They sang. They started breaking out and started singing but not the children of Israel. They hung their harps on the willows. Oh, they were defeated. They were depressed. And for 70 long years, they served these evil Babylonians knowing that their beloved city was gone and destroyed. 
Something amazing happened, though. There's a king named Cyrus who was of the Persian Empire. He swooped in at about 539, about 65, 70 years later. He swooped in and he defeated all the Babylonians. And literally, he just walked in and took over the city because the Persians had grown to become such a strong force. And here they are, and they defeated the children of Israel. And, 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 and now they had new taskmasters, the Persians. Well, I wonder how they're going to treat the children of Israel. You know, it's a sad thing when you feel like you're going to be enchained to an enemy and you'll never get out. Wouldn't you just give up on life? Wouldn't you just kind of think, it's over. There's nothing to live for. But something happened. God intervened on the behalf of the children of Israel, and he touched the king of Cyrus's heart. And Cyrus went to the children of Israel one day, and he said, you're free to go. You're free to go. I mean, think of it. He gave up the populace of his workforce to build his empire. He let them go free. And not only did he let them go free, but he helped them and paid them for their way to go back. And not only did he help them on their way back, but when they got there, he gave them money to help rebuild their wall. Now think of it. The king of the world, the Persian Empire, was the, the main ruler of the world at the time in that area. Nobody could defeat the Persians. They just walked in on the Babylonians. And he just lets them go. But not only did he let them go and pay their way and help them rebuild, but he returned to them all the gold artifacts that were in the temple. He, he let them take all of them back so they could have them back there. in the. He gave them back gold. Has anybody been given gold by anybody lately? Has that happened to anybody? Have you ever been given gold? I gave my wife a gold ring years ago. Amen. But nobody, nobody gives us gold today. Nobody's passing out gold. You don't see a man on the corner with the sign, gold for free. You don't see it, do you? But that's what happened. And the children of Israel were able to go back. Hopeless was their mindset. But now, a renewed joy. We're free. Can you imagine the elation inside they felt. We're, we don't have to be in chains anymore and our children be in chains. And by the way, Daniel teaches us that they often separated the children from their parents. Can you imagine growing up, a child growing up, not knowing or maybe just seeing a, a, their own parent in passing. But they were reunited. Families put back together and they went back to Jerusalem and Nehemiah built the wall and Ezra helped build the temple. And they were back in Jerusalem. What, what joy, what happiness. 
regained in their soul. And this is where the psalm that we read picks up. And they said, when the Lord turned again, the captivity of Zion, that's Jerusalem, we were like them that dream. They said, we can't imagine this. This is so great. I mean, it's like the best thing that's ever happened to you in life times 10. Coming into your life. They, were, they said it was like dream. Now, can I apply this spiritually? Did you know that captivity is a picture of a person before they get saved? They're bound in sin. You know, you may not know it, but before a person gets saved, it's like they are chained in sin. Romans chapter 6 teaches us that. Take your Bible with me, please, and go over to Romans 6. Hold your finger in Psalms and look with me at Romans chapter number 6. And <clears throat> I want you to see, beginning with verse number 17, what God is saying here. Romans chapter 6, notice verse number 17. <coughs> and notice the Bible says here, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of, un of righteousness. Well, that's a good feeling. It's good to know when you get saved, you are freed from sin. I think that's a picture of how they felt in Psalm 126. They were free. Notice verse 20. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What, what fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made freed from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. What a great passage. See, before you get saved, you are chained in sin. You have no way out. You can turn over a new leaf. You can do good works. You can, you can go to church. You can pray all you want. But until God comes in and saves you and washes you of your sin, then, and, and by the way, you have to choose that. You have to say yes to Jesus. You have to receive him. He's already extended the gift of salvation to you. But you have to receive it. Scripture says, as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. Not everybody's going to heaven. Uh, a lot of people may know of God or know God, but they, they don't, uh, they've never received the gift of salvation. That's the thing that makes you free from sin. It's because the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to your heart when you get saved. Amen. So now back in Psalm 126, we see, first of all, this is what salvation does. It's like a dream. Salvation is like a dream. Do you remember? What, I remember as a 13-year-old boy before I got saved, I remember that, that pounding feeling in my heart. I remember feeling, I'm lost. I'm not saved. And you know, I'd gone to church all my life, but church can't save you. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than Going into a garage makes you a car. It's what you do with Christ in your heart. But when you, 
receive him, he sets you free. It's like them that dream. Boy, it was a good day when I, this, that burden of sin I had, I left it. It fell off of me. I felt free when I got saved. I was like them the dream. It was, it's, it's really a dream to be saved. It really is. It's like I cannot comprehend how good this is. Like the children of Israel walking back to their homeland free. I can't believe this. I can't believe this. It's like a, them the dream. And I want to say, salvation is that way. Salvation. Imagine that, that, that uh, poor person that lives in a poor country and a missionary goes and gives them the gospel. They're free from their sin and they don't live the same way anymore. And one day they die, they go to a beautiful place called heaven. I mean, heaven must be like a dream. I'm simply saying this morning <clears throat> that when you get saved, there's a, there's a part of it that's like a dream. I'm glad that day I got saved. It just kind of lifted my burdens. And I've been, I've been living, a, living the dream. <laughs> I've been living the dream ever since then. I still wake up sometimes and think, is, is, this, is it this good? Is salvation really this good? I got news for you. It is this good. <laughs> salvation is like a dream because we're freed from sin. We're freed from the sin and we now have a, a new position in Christ. That is that we are declared righteous by the blood of Jesus in salvation. We're like them the dream. You say, <clears throat> and by the way, when a person rejects Christ, it's, it's the same picture. They're chained. They're still chained. They're still chained in sin. They can't get free. Oh, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That made me white as snow. No other found I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, religion can't free you. Religion can put you in chains, actually. It can't free you. Good works can't free you. I talked to a dear man yesterday. And he thought he was going to get to heaven by good works. And I use that illustration I've used from this pulpit a hundred times. Of how you get to heaven with one sin. If you only sin once in your life. and You get to God in heaven with one sin. You say, Lord, would you let me into heaven with one sin? If the Lord said, yeah, sure, come on in, then he'd have to let everybody with one sin in heaven. Then heaven would be just as sinful as the earth is. One sin can keep us from heaven. And it'll keep you from heaven too, unless it's been applied by the blood of Jesus. And so I'm saying this morning, salvation's like a dream. It doesn't get any better in life than to live your life Knowing you are saved. It doesn't get any better than that. It's like a good dream. Amen. But I want you to notice secondly what it did for him. Verse 2. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was seen. You know, they couldn't help but laugh. They were so elated. 
captivity's gone. Hallelujah. I'm free. They started laughing. They, they laughed and they started singing. Amen. They had a lot of, they had some songs in their heart. <clears throat> they were laughing. You, you, you ever just, uh, just start singing? I like to sing. This sounds funny, but I like to sing on my motorcycle. Does anybody understand that? Anybody? My son Matthew does. Amen? He's the only one. Well, I like to get on a motorcycle and ride and sing. Everybody else listening thinks you're nuts. It's just something about, it's a, it's a free feeling, but, but you know salvation's like that. It just makes you happy, joyful. There's a song there. Amen. You, you don't have to wake up in captivity serving, uh, serving the devil. You wake up in freedom, elated with joy and laughter. That's the difference between salvation and captivity. Amen. I don't have to serve God. I get to serve God. Nobody's forcing us. Thank God it's out of joy. And you know, <clears throat> the lost in this world need to feel the same thing. The same elation. And they may not have great things, but when that missionary goes to that hut or that home or that, that mud, mud hut that they call home, they build their homes out of the things that are available on the ground that they own. When they, when they go and knock on those doors and talk to them about the Lord and they get saved, there's a change. This joy takes place in their heart. Because why? Because captivity is lifted. You know, we live in a world in captivity. They need the Lord. And then notice what it says in verse 2. Then said they among the heathen, that's the lost, the Lord hath done great things for them. Notice the heathen, the lost people are seeing the Christian. Can I remind you that someone's watching you, Christian? Someone has their eye on you when you don't think somebody has their eye on you. There's people watching you. There's people watching us. They want to see if our Christianity is really real in everyday life. And even though none of us are perfect, we ought to have that testimony. We ought to have that testimony in the workplace, everywhere we go. Because the heathen looked at them and said, the Lord has done great things for them. What a testimony. The lost Assyrians and some of them Babylonians in there too, probably all mixed together, are looking at all those Christians and saying, wow, they're happy. Lord did great things for them. Oh, listen. <clears throat> the greatest day of my life was the day I got saved. By far. The Lord did great things for me that day. The Lord does, wants to do great things for you. By the way, we as Christians, if we live with this joy that we're free from our captivity, if we live with this joy and let our mouths be filled with tongue uh, and our tongue filled with laughter, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Fill in the blank, right? But if we live that way, this old lost world wants to look at us and say, what makes you so happy? 
I'll tell you what it is. Freedom in the Lord. Free from sin. Free. And the, the lost world saw it. But then verse 3, they recognized it. The Lord hath done great things for us. Whereof we are glad. Hasn't the Lord done great things for you? Hasn't God been good to you? Has God done more things? You know, God does more things every day than what we realize. Yeah. Every day. <clears throat> Think of how many dangers we could have gotten into and troubles. You get in your car and get on the freeway and go to work. You probably pass 100 cars at least on your way to work. You didn't run into any of them. None of them ran into you. Well, at least not today. You, God was good to you. God's been good to us. And they recognize this goodness of God. It's God that sets us free. It, it really wasn't Cyrus that set them free. It was God touching Cyrus's heart to let them go free. And they recognized it. And they said, uh, it had done great things for us. You know, I believe the foundation of giving to missions is this understanding that God has been good to me to start with. That helps me want to give more to missions because I've been blessed by God. And God just keeps bringing it back and returning it and allowing us to give it. It's a great joy. You will never regret what you do for God. You never will. You'll never. I, I've had people come and talk and they've regretted things that they've done for the devil. But I've never had somebody come in my office with tears in their eyes and say, Preacher, I, I wish I wouldn't have given to that missionary. Preacher, forgive me. I, I, I wish I wouldn't have talked to that man about the Lord. I've never had that happen. I've never had that happen. I'm saying to you today, we'll never regret what we do for God. We'll never regret it. Verse 5, Bible reminds us here that they had to go home and they set their sights on home and they had a work before them, didn't they? And the Bible says they had to start sowing now. They had to start planting their own crops, didn't they? <clears throat> And, and uh, they arrived back in Jerusalem, but there was no food, so they had to start sowing. And, and he says here, they, verse 5, that sowing tears shall reap in joy. And there's, there's a time of sowing here. And then there's a time of reaping. Notice he says, verse 6, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, God says, we sow, we go, we weep, we rejoice, and we bring our sheaves back with us. Isn't that what it says? We sow, we go, we weep, we rejoice, and we bring our sheaves with us. That's talking about the souls that are saved the souls that receive the Lord as Savior. Oh, I want to tell you, missions is about reaching the lost person for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's what it's about. It's about sowing and reaping. It's about bringing our sheaves with us when we die, when we go to heaven. Um, I heard a preacher, Brother Don Sisk, just this past week in a sermon. He said, uh, he remembered when he started giving faith promise. He said, I, I started giving $4 a week. He said, now that didn't change anything in the program of the church. <laughs> he said, but what it did was it changed me. He said, it changed me. When I started giving the faith promise and putting it in that envelope and designating that $4 every week to missions, it went to the missionary. And by the way, we don't take a dime out of our missions fund, not a dime to give to anything else. We won't pay the light bill with it. Amen? Every dime goes directly to the hands of missions. Amen? We don't even buy stamps for, to send the letters to the missionaries uh, with the missions money. We don't even buy the stamps for that. We buy that out of the general fund. Every dime from missions money goes to that missionary. Amen? That's what we want. When you give that, I want you to know that every dime you give is going to foreign missions and church planning and works that are reaching souls for Christ. It's important to know that. It's important to know that. And you know, I like that word in verse 6. Look at that word, doubtless. Doubtless come again with rejoicing. God says you weep, you go, you sow, you, you're going to bring your sheaves with them. Doubtless. There, there's no doubt about it. You're going, to come to the, you're going to come back one day bringing your sheaves with you. Amen. I love that word doubtless. No doubt about it. Amen. God says, hey, if God says it's doubtless, you think it's going to happen? Without a doubt, it's going to happen. Amen. And sometimes we think that the labors that we give are in vain in the Lord. But I want to tell you, nothing that's done to reach the lost soul is in vain. Nothing. My favorite story, missionary story, is a story I want to read to you. It's about David and Svea Flood. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think you'll enjoy every word of it. In 1921, there was a missionary couple named David and Svea Flood. They went with their two-year-old son from Sweden to Africa, the heart of Africa, which was then called the Belgian Congo. It was there they met up with another Scandinavian couple, the Ericsons, and the four of them sought for God's direction. And in those days, they felt led of the Lord to go out into a main mission station and take the gospel to a remote area of the Belgian Congo. This was a huge step of faith. And at the village of Nidalara, they were rebuffed by the chief who would not let them enter his town for fear of alienating the local gods. The two couples opted to go half a mile up the slope and build their own mud huts there. And they prayed for a spiritual breakthrough. <clears throat> but there was none. The only contact with a village was with a villagers was with a young boy who was allowed to sell them chickens and eggs twice a week. 
Svea Flood was a tiny woman, four feet, eight inches tall. And she decided that if this was the only African she could talk to, she would try to lead that boy to Jesus. And in fact, she succeeded. But there were no other encouragements. Meanwhile, malaria continued to strike one member <clears throat> after another. In time, the Ericsons decided that they had enough suffering and left to return to the central mission station, leaving David and Svea all alone to go on. Then of all things, Svea found herself pregnant in the middle of the primitive wilderness. And when the time came for her to give birth, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to come help her. A little girl was born they named Ina. In the delivery, however, Svea Flood was weak from bouts of malaria. The birth process was heavy blow to her stamina and she lasted only another 17 days. Inside, David Flood, something snapped at that moment. He dug a crude grave and buried his 27-year-old wife and took his children back down to the mountain to the mission station, giving his newborn daughter to the Ericsons. He said, I'm going back to Sweden. I lost my wife, and obviously I can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. With that, he headed for the port, rejecting not only his calling, but God himself. With eight, within eight months, the Ericans were stricken with a mysterious disease, and they died within days of each other. And the baby was then turned over to some American missionaries who changed her Swedish name to Aggie and eventually brought her back to the United States at the age of three. The family loved that little girl, and they were afraid that if they tried to return to Africa, some legal obstacle might separate her from them. So they stayed in their home country. And that is how Aggie grew up in, the, in South Dakota. As a young woman, she attended college in Minneapolis and there met and married a young man. Years passed. She met a man named Dewey Hurst and got married to him. And they enjoyed a fruitful ministry. Aggie gave birth to a daughter and a son. And in time, her husband became the president of a Christian college in, in Washington. And Aggie was intrigued to find so much Scandinavian heritage there. One day, a Swedish magazine appeared in her mailbox. She had no idea who sent it, and she couldn't read the words. But as she turned the pages, all of a sudden, a photo stopped her cold. There was a primitive setting with, with a grave with a white cross. And on the cross were the words, Svea Flood. Aggie jumped in her car and went straight for the college faculty member who she knew could translate the article. What does it say, she said. The instructor said it was about missionaries who had come to Nadolera long ago, the birth of a white baby, the death of a young mother, and one little African boy who had been led to Christ. And how after the whites had all left, the boy had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. The article said that gradually he won all his students to Christ. The children led the parents to Christ, and even the chief had become a Christian. 
And that, that day there were 600 Christians in that one village all because of the sacrifice of David and Svea Flood. For the Hearst's 25th wedding anniversary, the college presented them with a gift of vacation to Sweden. And there Aggie sought to find her real father. An old man now, David Flood, had <clears throat> remarried. He was still bitter, and he told her, never mention the name of God, because God took everything from me. After a reunion with her half-brother and half-sisters, Aggie brought up the subject of seeing her father. Others said, you can't talk to him, even though he's very ill now, but you need to know that whenever he hears the name of God, he flies into a rage. But Aggie was not to be deterred. She walked into the squalid apartment with liquor bottles everywhere. She approached the 73-year-old man lying in a bed and said, Papa, she said. He turned to her and began to cry. Ina, he said, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa, she said, taking him gently in her arms. God took care of me. The old man instantly stiffened. The tears stopped. God forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him. He turned his face back to the wall. Aggie said, Papa, I've got a little story to tell you, and it's a true one. You didn't go to Africa in vain, and Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win that whole village to Jesus Christ. The one seed you planted just kept growing and growing. And today there are 600 African people serving Jesus because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. Papa, Jesus loves you and he never hated you. The old man turned back to look into his daughter's eyes. His body relaxed and he began to talk. By the end of the afternoon, he had come back to the God that he had presented for so many decades. And over the next few days, father and daughter enjoyed warm moments together. Aggie and her husband soon returned to America and within a few weeks, David Flood had gone into eternity. After a few years, the Hearst were attending a evangelism conference in England when a report was given from the nation of Zaire, which is the former Belgian Congo. The superintendent of that church represented 110,000 baptized believers. He spoke eloquently of the gospel spread of this nation. And Aggie could not help going and asking him afterward if he had ever heard of David and Svea Flood. The man said, yes, madame, he replied in French. His words then being translated into English. It was David Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. He embraced her long, sobbing hug. And then he continued, you must come to Africa and see because your mother is the most famous person in our history. And that time is exactly what Aggie Hurst and her husband did. They were welcomed by throngs of villagers. She even met the man who had been hired by her father many years before to carry back down the mountain a hammock cradle. The most dramatic moment, of course, 
is when the pastor escorted Aggie to see her mother's white cross for herself. Later that day in the church, the pastor read John 12, 24, which teaches us that when a seed goes into the ground, it dies. But if it dies, it produces fruit unto righteousness. He then ended with Psalm 126, verse 5, and he said, those who sowed tears will reap in joy. And you know, the end of that story is an is a amazing story of what God does. But you know, it reminds me again of that word doubtless. Doubtless. When we sow, we too doubtless, God said, will come again with rejoicing, bringing our sheaves with us. You know, that's the kind of life I want to have. I want to have a life where I doubtless come back, returning those sheaves with us. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy, bringing their sheaves with them. Oh, I say to you today, today every dime that's given will matter. Every missionary that's sent will matter. Even if they spend a short time, even if their life isn't long, it still can make a great difference in the lives of somebody. Oh, can I say to you today, let's continue to do all we can for the cause of Christ beyond our borders, beyond what we can see. And let's have faith in God and do what God would want us to do.